was really mean something to you, you know, that Jesus is setting us free. Jesus cares for us. And, you know, been listening a lot to testimonies. Um, when we come up here, Sam plays uh, Unshackled on the trip up and the on tri- trip back. And just listening to these stories about God has delivered people from their sin. You know, and I hope for each one of us, we remember back when we were delivered from our sins, and hopefully you are delivered from your sin. We are in a place where God wants to set us free and make us new creations. You know, we are a new creation in Christ when we come to him, brand new. We can live with victory if we turn our life over to God. And that's what it takes, is turning our life over to him. Many people will say their prayer and they accept Jesus as their Lord, but they don't turn their life over to him and they live defeated. And so we want to be able to do that. How do we do that? We read our Bible. We memorize our Bible. We spend time with other Christians and be encouraged. All right, we're going to be in Exodus chapter, Exodus? How about Ecclesiastes chapter 7? I am going to read in Exodus, but we're going to start in, uh, we are going to start in Ecclesiastes. <laughs> Might be one of those one of your fun days. Uh, my, my tongue is getting tangled up this last week in a lot of my teaching. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and to worship you in song. And Lord, as we now prepare to worship you through the lifting up your word, we ask you to guide and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, starting at verse 7. Surely oppression makes the wise man mad, and the gift d- destroys the heart. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in your spirit to be angry, for your anger rests in the bosom of fools. Say not you, what is the cause of the former days were better than these, for you do not inquire wisely concerning this. This section is kind of hard to actually teach on anything because the, when you teach Proverbs, and they're just one proverb after another. They're kind of hard to get a flow of anything going on. But we're going to try to do something here. It starts out, surely oppression makes a wise man mad, and a gift destroys the heart. This word for oppression literally means extortion. All right? And if you don't know what extortion means, it is taking something by force or duress. All right? So it says, Surely extortion makes the wise man mad, or in this one, it could be that they're perverted in their, in their, in their thinking. So there's two, there's two ways that that could, it either upsets the wise man that somebody extorts something, or their extortion drives them into unhappiness. And either way, it means the, pretty much the same thing. But we think about this. How much extortion goes on in our world? You know, there's a lot of it that goes on. You know, really hard force extortion. You know, we think of the bad guys on the TVs and the, and the crime dramas. But how much extortion goes on even amongst ourselves where we just try to force somebody to do something? You know, uh, and I'm not talking about bosses. You know, bosses pay your wages. They have the right to have what they want done. We're not talking about parents who say, you know, children, if you don't do your chores, you're not going to get, you're going to go to bed early or you're going to, you know, not get something, you're not going to get your, you know, those are legitimate leaders, you know, dr- you know, trying to get something done to teach. But how about those things where somebody wa- really wants you to do something you don't want to do and they put the screws to you? You know, maybe not really with violence. 
You know, if I think about some of these people who get into drugs and alcohol, they go to the party and it's like, well, do you want to have this drink? No, I don't want the drink. And they come back to you five minutes later, you really, you, everybody else is drinking, you should drink. And, and you just get to the place where you find yourself being forced, not completely forced, but you just feel if I don't do this, all these other people are going to be unhappy. Peer pressure is that type of thing. It's an extortion of a sort. You know, and we have a world full of that. We might even do it to our own friends and family at times. You know, well, you know, I really want to do this, and if you guys really cared about me, you would do this as well. You know, and that's something we want to be careful of. And it says these things are upsetting to the person who is extorted, but even for those who get their way that way, they're not very happy in the long run. Nobody's wanting to do what they want. They usually make them feel miserable. And that's what this proverb's all about. Extortion does not get you where you want to be. And God really does not like extortion. Well, I just want to read a couple, just a couple of the verses that I found, and there's a whole lot of them in the Bible on that. Exodus chapter 23, verse 9. Also, you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know that the heart of the stranger, seeing that you are strangers in the land of Egypt. He says, don't mistreat your foreigners. Okay? And that was one of the things that they were told over and over again. You were strangers in Egypt and you were made slaves. Don't mistreat your, your strangers in your land. And that doesn't mean they had open borders and everybody just come in. But he goes, when they're there, don't mistreat them. Remember, Israel was invited into Egypt before they grew to about three and a half million people strong. When Joseph was second in command and he brought 70 people from his family and gave them the best land in Egypt, in the land of Goshen, they were invited to come. And then they got so big and so strong that the, the Egyptians decided, no, we don't want you anymore. <laughs> All right. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 14, you shall not oppress a hired servant that is poor and needy, whether he be of your brethren or of your strangers for, that are in the land within your gates. So we're not even to mistreat workers. And how many times, we're getting better in America as we have all kinds of hundreds of laws against it, but people used to not pay their people at the end of the day. You know, they'd give them something like, well, you know, I can't pay you until I sell the, sell the stuff. Then I'll be glad to pay you. And they ended up never paying them. We had all kinds of oppression to people and we want to and God says don't do that take care of the poor take care of the strangers take care of those that are working for you and we want to be able to look at these things and then do to and in Psalm 62 verse 10 trust not in oppression and not and become not vain in robbery if riches increase let not your heart be upon them so he says, don't extort, don't put your, you know, don't put your trust in what you're getting through extortion and through oppression. And, you know, this is one of the problems we have with a lot of people. They get very excited about everything they do and how, you know, I really got to go on that person. I got them to work for nothing and I got all the benefit out of it. And we need to be careful of that. God is saying, treat them with respect. You know, and it's not a problem, you know, businesses are in business to make money. But you know, and they, but they should pay a fair wage to their employees. But you know, what is considered a fair wage in our day and age is not necessarily a fair wage. We've got businesses running on very low profits, 
And people go, well, they, you know, they, they sold millions of dollars of stuff. Well, it cost them millions of dollars to buy the stuff. They're only making a very small amount of money by the time they paid their utilities and all of that. And people go, well, they made, they made lots of money. They forget about the cost of this. And, you know, God is not opposed to us making money. If we, if we take the chances, he's not opposed. But he does not want us mistreating people to make that money. You know, and this is, we could, you can take classes on this, how to buy for as little as possible, <laughs> cheat that person you're buying from, and then mark that price up as high as you possibly can and cheat the person that you're selling to, and you get to make all the money until your reputation gets out amongst you and you don't feel good about the way you're making the money because God will convict. This is what he's talking about, oppression and making people upset and not giving them peace. He goes on to say that the that the gift, or literally bribe, <laughs> destroys the heart. You know, we think about this. Why do people give money to in bribes? To get what they want. You know, hey, look over your integrity. Look over the rules. And here's what I'm going to give you to look over. Look over. And that's what he said. He said, it destroys the heart, the innermost being of who we are. You know, what is your integrity worth to you? Now, for some people, their integrity is not worth a whole lot. You know, they'll sell it for anything. Others, if we're following God and his word, our integrity should be so high that we're not willing to sell it for anything. Does that mean I lose business deals or lose some, some good opportunity because I won't take advantage of somebody? It might very well. But I can at least live with myself and look at myself in the mirror later on and say, I didn't mistreat people. And I know, I know several people, I've got a couple of people in my family, they, they will never lose on a deal. They always get the, when they buy something, they, they get that price down as far as possible. And when they sell something, they are selling it at a, more than it, more than it should sell, and they make a huge profit. And they brag about how good they are doing it. And I'm going, why? Why are you that way? Why do you care so little for everybody? You know, you've made so much money, you should be able to split some of that somewhere along the line if you really, truly cared for the people. And this is what God is saying. Do we care for one another? We are one family in this world. We all have at least two parents in, in uh, common for every single person that walks on this world. We have Adam and Eve in common, and we have Noah and his wife in common. You know, we all have common family and we are related to everybody in this world, why will we be so anxious to take advantage of each other and not treat them fairly? That doesn't mean I don't make money on a deal. You know, you, we can make money, but I need to be treating them fairly. You get a good deal, I get a good deal. And this is something that is our integrity. What is our integrity? What is our integrity worth? Are we willing to take that bribe and, and push down our integrity? Eventually, God's will convict. We hear it over and over. People get convicted at some point and they do not have the peace. And the other part that you have is whenever you commit a sin, if you have a sin that besets you, you think that everybody has that same sin. You know, I've met a lot of people that, you know, that, you know there's a handful of people that their lips are moving, they're lying. And we all know people like that and they're not all politicians and lawyers. <laughs> You know, we do know there's people out there that their lips are moving, they're lying, and they expect that everybody's lying to them. They really do. There are people who are steal all the time, and they expect that people, everybody around them is stealing. 
There are people who gossip all the time and they expect that everybody gossips. Unfortunately, that one might be true. <laughs> now, uh, but you know, whatever our sin is, we, th we start to think it's normal and that everybody does it. And God will eventually come in and say, no. If somebody's always taking advantage of somebody, they're always expecting that people are trying to take advantage of them. And they're on their guard, they never have peace, and they have a very hard place to be. So we want to be careful. We, you know, again, it's not that we make no, no, that we can't make money, but let's make sure that we're dealing with everybody fairly, that we're lifting others up. You know, and this comes even when we're dealing with people from, through the, that need help. You know, sometimes we have this habit of looking at people and going, well, if they were just a little bit stronger, a little more self, self-reliant. They could pull themselves up by their own boot, bootstraps, and they wouldn't need any help. Well. That's true most cases, but it's not true for a lot of people. A lot of people are just in a place where they cannot help themselves. Whether it's because of sickness or just how far down they've been driven or something that may be even the way they were raised. Now, I feel sorry for some of the kids we deal with in this town who have had no upbringing. Parents have not taught them how to, to live. Parents have not taught them how to act. And then we look at them and say, well, I just don't like them because look how they behave. Well, how are they behaving? Like sinners. You know, they're behaving just like sinners because nobody has disciplined them enough to get them away from being a sinner. How would we act if we weren't into God's word, being trained up to avoid sin? We'd act like terrible, awful sinners. And I got news for you, we are terrible, awful sinners in some area of our life, no matter how well-trained we are. There's always some area in our life that, is, that we're acting like a sinner. Which means that we need to be careful when we judge other people that sin is just a little different than ours. You know, because we all have this issue. Whether it's an overt one that everybody sees or maybe it's just a mental one. Well, I have trouble. I'm angry all the time, but you don't see it because I control it really well, but I'm angry. Well, I'm very lustful and you never see it because I control it very well. Or, you know, I would really want to tell you these things, but I don't tell you these because I'm just a little bit too smart to say to say these things, so I, I hold my tongue, but boy, if you just knew what I was thinking about you, you know, I would be in trouble. And that may be where we're at. If you walked with God long enough, you may be in that, in that camp where, where everybody thinks you're doing pretty good, and you just go, well, if you only knew. <laughs> if you only knew what was going on. We need to be careful to love each other, to give grace to one another, because that is all that we get. We get grace. We want grace. It's amazing to me how many people want grace, but they do not want to give grace out. And I'll hear some people say, well, you know, they just don't deserve grace. And of course they don't deserve grace. If they did, it wouldn't be grace. You know, when I do something wrong, I want grace. To get grace, I need to make sure I'm giving grace to other people who, do, who don't deserve grace. Because that is what God asks us. In 1 John, we're told we love him because he first loved us. You know, if God had not loved us, he would not have done anything to, to buy us back. And we would all go to hell. But because he loved us, Jesus Christ came down to this world, lived a perfect life, went to the cross of Calvary voluntarily, died on the cross, was resurrected so that we could be redeemed from our sin. What a gift God gives us says, you can't pay the price, so I'll pay the price, and I will give you a gift of eternal life. 
That is such an amazing gift when we think about it. What a gift we have. Salvation, redemption, being clothed in the righteousness of Christ because he loved us first. And we need to be able to show that love to others. We need to be able to show that grace to others and work with them. It says, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning. This is something we all tend to know. How do you feel when you finish a job? I don't don't care what it is. my wife has made lots of quilts, and sometimes they take a long time to make because they're intricate. They're, they're, you know, and then she gets to the end, and she's really happy about it. I get to the end of a job, and usually doesn't look any, look what I wanted it to look like, but I'm still happy that it's done. <laughs> you know, I got it finished. Not doesn't meet what I thought in my mind, but it's done. And we take pride in the in the accomplishment. And he says, better is the end when we can say, look what is done. Look what has been accomplished. And it's always difficult to start something. How many of us have procrastinated starting something to the point sometimes we never get started? <laughs> you know, well, I'll get around to uh, cleaning the house uh, tomorrow. And three years later, we're still saying tomorrow. <laughs> you know, or, or as Mary said, you know, I'll do it tomorrow and, and tomorrow never comes because when tomorrow becomes today, it's not tomorrow anymore. Tomorrow is still to come. <laughs> Yeah, so to say I'm going to do something tomorrow is meaning I'm never going to do it. <laughs> it really is in most cases. Uh, and Solomon here is saying it's better to finish something. And he says to be patient than to be proud. You know, we all know people who are so proud that they can't let anybody else be right. They can't let anybody do a better job than they do. They've got to show off you know, how proud and excellent they are. They've always got to have the last word in every discussion. You know, and Solomon is saying, better is the person who is just patient and humble. You know, it is wonderful just every once in a while you know, to even say, well, I know this person is absolutely wrong, but they're not going to listen to me anyway, so I'm just going to let them get, a, just let them get the last word. It's not that big a deal. And this is something I've said even about the Bible. Over the years, I've learned one very, very important thing about the Bible. There's very few things that are so important that I'm going to put a flag up and say I'm willing to die on this hill for the Bible. One of those are the Bible is God's word. It's absolutely true. I will stand to the death on that one. I will argue that one with, without exception. I will argue that Jesus Christ is God the Son of God who lived a perfect life, died on the cross for my sins, and that he rose again. Beyond that, there's not a whole lot that I'm going to say you must believe these things to be a Christian. Because if you don't believe the Bible's true, I don't know what you're believing in. Now, if we don't believe the Bible is true, then what are we believing in? And I've said this over and over. If there's anything that is not 100% absolutely true in the Word of God, I might as well throw the book away because it's not worth living because if one thing's wrong, I don't know what else might be wrong. 48 years of studying, and I know one thing for sure, there's nothing wrong in that word. <laughs> I haven't discovered it after 48 years. I don't think I'm going to find anything, and other histori- uh, theologians have not found anything wrong with it. I trust it. Because if it wasn't true, I can't trust everything on it. We're, hand- we're betting eternity that the Bible is true, aren't we? 
We don't know what happens after we die other than what the Bible tells us, that we stand before God when we die. And the only way I can stand before God accepted is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, I'm standing in my own righteousness, and he says, see you later, bye, you're going to hell. According to the word. If anything is not true in the word, then how can I be sure of eternity? I cannot be. I need to be absolutely sure that his word is true. And I challenge a lot of people when they go, well, I think such and such. And I'll ask them, well, what is your Bible verse for that proof? What do you believe in the Bible for that to be true? Because I don't care what anybody thinks. And there's times when I teach them, this is what I believe. Here's why I believe. And I'll give the verses for it. But I will fair, fair set it up with, this is what I believe. If you don't want to believe it, that's fine. Just know what you believe. And I've said this over and over, and many of you have heard me say this. If you disagree with me, that's fine. But why do you believe what you believe? What Bible verses are you using to support it? Not, well, I think, or I believe, or this is the way I think it should be. What Bible verses are you using to support it? And I like discussing people that have different opinions as long as they want to come to the Bible. And there are some places where the Bible is not 100% clear, and you can take different verses and say, this is what you're going to believe. I've got friends that believe that you can lose your salvation. I feel sorry for them because it's not biblical, but they believe it. And I know the verses they'll quote. I know the verses they will quote, but the thing that for me is that we're promised eternal life. In the verse that all of us know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall have temporary life, right? That's what it says. <laughs> you know, no, it doesn't say temporary life. It doesn't say you know, life until they choose otherwise. It doesn't say life until they sin too much and I take it away from it. And it says eternal life. Our life in Christ, if we truly place our trust in Jesus, is eternal. We cannot sin so much that he takes it away. We cannot just decide, well, you know, I don't think I want to follow you anymore, so I'm turning my back. That would be an indication I never knew him. Not that I turned my back, but I never knew him. He says, I give you eternal life. And we need to be able to be able to understand that. It's a gift that he gives us, and he's not going to take it away from us. Now, we may not have accepted that gift. That's a different story altogether, but he will never take that gift away from us. It says, be not hasty in spirit to be angry. Anger rests in the bosom of fools. Oh, how much trouble do we get when we get angry? <laughs> we, we unload on somebody. We, we yell at them. We curse them. We plot our revenge because we're angry. Maybe you're the type of person who says, well, I'm angry with you, so I'm never going to talk to you again for the rest of your life. Well, you're the type of person who explodes at somebody and, and rips their head off verbally or physically. You know, and Solomon is saying, don't be hasty to do such things because the results of anger always ends up poorly. We end up saying things we wish we hadn't saying, said or doing things that we wish we hadn't done. And you know, once something is done or said, it can't be pulled back. They may tell you, well, I accept your apology, but you have damaged your relationship. And every one of us have some relationship that has been damaged because somebody did or said something in anger. And even if we still want to have a relationship with them, in the back of our mind is, you know, I can't trust this person anymore because of what they have done. 
unless we learn to forgive like Jesus forgives and to give true honor and care. And this is why forgiveness is so important for us. Because if we sit with a bitterness and anger in our heart towards somebody, we're never going to be back in fellowship with them the way we should. This is why we have to be able to give grace to one another. Grace changes people's lives. And it, changed, it changes our lives. When we get saved, we're saved by grace. And our life is totally changed because of the grace of God giving us our salvation. And I love God's grace. I do love his grace. And I love giving grace as often as possible. And I've shared with people, if I'm going to err on anything, I want to err on the side of grace. I want to give them too much grace. If I'm going to make a mistake, I want it to be because of grace, not because I've felt that they should be doing better. I felt that there should be some laws that they're obeying and rules that they're obeying. And the problem in most churches, even in good Christian churches, is all the rules that they place on one another. You know, if you really are a Christian, you will do this, that, and the other thing. And I remember in the 50s and 60s, you know, women, if you came to church, you had to be wearing a dress and a hat. Men, if we came to church, we better be in a suit and a tie. And heaven help you if you came to, came to church in anything other than those. Oh, by the way, you couldn't play cards, you couldn't go to the movies, you couldn't... <laughs> You couldn't, uh, you couldn't do uh, drinking. You couldn't, you know, don't, don't listen to the radio because there's so much bad on the radio. You know, you know, all these rules that they go, and if you weren't following all these rules, by the way, they weren't in the Bible, you weren't a good Christian. Now, most of those things may be good things to follow if God has told you to follow them. You know, uh, you all know I'm not a big fan of TV anymore with all the garbage on TV. I'm not a big fan of most of the stuff we can read and watch and, and hear on the radio because of how much it affects the spirit. But, you know, that's my rules for life, not, not everybody else's. God has told me, be careful what you put in your mind. Be careful what you put in your heart. I would say you all need to be that, but what God is telling you to do is between you and God. And I'm not going to be judging people. Oh, you, you watched how much TV last night? <laughs> You know, that's not my business. It's between you and God. My question would be, did you spend some time with God reading his word? Did you spend some time praying to God? We sing a song, Sweet Hour of Prayer. Every time I sing that, I'm thinking, how long has it been since I spent an hour in prayer? Now, the good news, I know that I've done it once a month, at least, because we meet here once a month for praying for, praying, praying for revival, and we pray for an hour. But how often do we pray for any length of time? Some people do it a lot, and I know there are people that do it a lot. But do I spend, you know, I've heard people, well, I don't have time to pray for an hour. Oh, that's wonderful. How long did you spend reading your newspaper? How long did you spend watching the news? How long did you spend watching TV last night? How many movies did you watch? Well, you know, those are really important things. You're getting, you're getting caught up on the news. I spent 30 minutes watching the news. You know, my God's capable of handling the world with, with or without me knowing what's going on in it, so I'd rather spend time praying. If that's my reason I can't pray, then I'll skip the news and I'll pray. Why? God is fully in control. He knows what's going on. It's amazing me, to me as I've looked over a lot of these great leaders in the, in the Christian world, how many of them said they never read a newspaper, never, read, never watched any news reports because all they cared about was God. What happens in this world is going to happen, and God is in control. And that's the thing we need to be able to understand. God is in control. And we want to be very careful to really remember 
God is in control. And I've told you, you know, and you all know, I have two really favorite verses, one of which is Romans 8:28. All things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. I truly believe that. No matter what happens, I know that God is in control. And the reason I know he's in control is because the Bible talks about him being in control. And he's been in control for everything that's happened in my life for 48 years that I, that I know of, and I know that he's in control of the things I don't know that he was in control of because he is in control. And if I can trust that he's in control, it doesn't matter what else is going on in the world. I just need to follow God and let him control what's going on. The last point that I wanted to look at today is, say not you, what is the cause of the former days were better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. This is something we hear a lot when we're getting, well, yesterday, you know, in the, in the good old days, it was so good. Well, you know, if you really thought about those good old days, they weren't really all that great in many ways. You know, 100 years ago, you didn't have indoor plumbing. You had to go outside to the well and get the bucket of water. You, didn't, you, you had to go to the bathroom. You better get dressed before you even went to the bathroom because it was out in the outhouse, a couple, about 20, 30 feet out from the house, and you froze to death out there in the outhouse in, in the winter, and you roasted in the summer, and it stank in the summer because of the heat. You know, maybe people were somewhat nicer, but, you know, we look at the Bible and say, there's nothing new under the sun. The politicians were just as corrupt. We just may not have known about it. The businessmen were just as much of an extortionist then as they are today. People were just as bad then as they are today. You know, there was nothing better about the past. We just forget the bad and, and just remember the things that were good. I remember when I first moved here to, to Kingman and I got a job back in the restaurant industry. And it's like, okay, the restaurant industry wasn't so bad. I forgot about the 60-hour work weeks and the people that called out and the, and the messes that were made and all the problems of it. And it didn't take me very long to remember that job wasn't as good as I remembered it being. But even beyond that is, has God moved us to a better place today than he had in the past? And if you're truly God's child, it should be that he has moved you to a better place today than you were last year, five years ago, ten years ago, a decade, a century ago, if you're old enough to be a century. You know. I, am I in a better place spiritually and with God today than the past? And if I'm truly his child, the answer to that should be yes. Now, that also means that he is testing me harder because I'm at a different place than I was back in, the, in those days. But you know, if we truly trust in God, our contentment should be in today. God, this is where you've got me. You think that I'm able to handle this particular test. And I love when they read these uh, biographies about the people and watch where God puts them toward the end of their life, the test that they have. And my favorite story about George Mueller is when he's praying for breakfast for the kids, it's not there and he knows it's not there. And he's thanking God for the breakfast that the kids are about to eat when there's no food in the entire orphanage. And he gets a knock on the door and there's food at the door as he's praying. A story about Charles Finley who was asked to pray for a breaking of a drought and he comes to the, he comes to the prayer meeting 
And he looks out at the people and he goes, I thought we were praying for rain. Why didn't anybody else bring an umbrella? Did he just get there one day saying, I'm going to be so sure of this prayer that I can pray and, and know that God's going to do it? No, it took him a long time to get there. How much do we trust God today that we wouldn't have trusted him in the past? I pray that we're growing in that area. And I know many people in this church are growing in that area. They are more righteous, more closely drawn to God, more walking with God today than seven years ago when I started here. Because we're getting into God's word. We're seeing him change our lives. He's seeing him change who we are. Don't ever look back to the past and say, I wish we were back there because you also have to take the fact that all the growth you've done for God would have had to have disappeared as well. Now, I didn't mean, well, I wish I knew was back there knowing what I know today. Well, that would be great. If I could be what I knew today, it would be wonderful to be back there living a better, making better decisions and avoiding some of the stupid decisions that I made in my lifetime. That would be wonderful. It wouldn't happen. Because if I went back, I wouldn't have the knowledge of where, what I'd gone through because of all the bad that had happened. God brings us up and we need to learn contentment with God. Whatever God brings our way, learn to be content. Paul said, I have learned to be content with much and with little. And we need to learn that whole, that whole thing. Lord, I am just content with whatever you've given me because I am where you want me to be. And this is what is important. As, as Solomon is writing this, he's saying, look very wisely at what God is bringing us through. You know, Job, in chapter 29 of Job, he's complaining, it would be better that I had never been born because look how bad things are. God has just let me go. He does not know what God's got in store for him. And by chapter 29, he's feeling miserable. Satan has taken away his family, he's taken away his wealth, taken away his health. Doesn't know that God let this all happen. And then he had four really wonderful friends telling him how bad he was and how he deserved everything that was happening to him. How many of us have ever had a friend like that telling us that we really deserved whatever we got instead of loving and being, being kind to us? And at the end of the book, Job is complaining. You know, rightfully so at that point, you know, having four friends telling you how bad you are. He said, it'd be better that, you know, I just want to go back to the past when everything was good and God loved me. <laughs> he didn't realize God still loved him. He hadn't, he was starting to get discontent. Then God steps in, starts questioning Job with a whole bunch of questions, and then says, all right, Job, I want you to pray for your, for your friends that were being nasty to you. Oh, how many times does God tell us to pray for somebody that has been mean to us? Pray for somebody that, that we don't even like because of the way they've been treating us. And God says, pray for them. Job prays for them, and he gets back twice as much of everything that he had. He gets back twice the wealth that he had. And poor Mrs. Job had to give birth to another nine children <laughs> uh, to replace the nine that had died. And, of course, she wasn't all that great to him either. She told him to curse God and die because, you know, and I think she was honest in there. She, her husband's in a lot of pain. Why don't you just curse God and get it over with? I'm tired of seeing you in pain. I really think that she was being, you know, honest to her love for him, just not understanding God. And she ended up having another nine kids to replace the seven sons and two daughters that, that were lost. So Job ended up with twice as many kids because in heaven he still had 18 kids in heaven. So, you know, but we look at this. How much do we trust God? 
when everything looks like it's going bad and wrong, do we still trust God? Do we still trust that God is in control? Do we still trust that God has a plan? Do we still really believe that God is good all the time? And that's something we really need to be able to believe. God is always good. Always. Even when it seems like everything is falling apart, he is still in control, he still has a plan, and he has good in store for us. We just need to learn to be able to lean on that. Now, none of this is true if we're not his children. Right? If you're not his child, God is still in control, but he hasn't promised you good. Matter of fact, if you're not his child, he's promised you life in the lake of fire, eternal life in the lake of fire, in pain, in suffering, with a guilty conscience, because before you go to the lake of fire, you stand before Jesus Christ and the Father at the judgment seat, the, the white throne judgment, and he will show you every opportunity you had to accept him and reject him, and you'll go to hell knowing you're where you deserve to be and being able to remember that for the rest of your life. Having your conscience burn and never being able to satisfy it. Never be able to fulfill that. We need to make that decision in this day, this lifetime. Jesus, I am a sinner. I need your, I accept your gift. Come into my life. Very important for us. And I think everybody in this room has at some point asked Jesus in their heart from the testimonies I hear. But if you haven't, today is the day to do it. Don't put it off. We're not guaranteed any more days. You know, my, my whole plan today after service is to go home. It's only 30 miles away, but I, and I plan and probably will make it there. Earlier this month, I had an accident that could have taken my life when my car rolled, gone the way to work. We never know what can happen to us. We need to be sure of today. This is the day that the Lord hath made. This is the day we're to rejoice in him, and this is the day that we need to be called to salvation if we need it. And part of this is because I'm going online, and I want people that are listening to this all around the world to hear this call to salvation. And if there's anybody in here, we need to be able to, to come to Christ and, and choose him and let him be in control of our life. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Help us to keep in mind always your goodness. Help us to always keep in mind what you have done for us and the gift that you've done on the cross. Lord, teach us that you are in control always. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.